Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome to the 5G Guys Podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dan McBall. Hey, everyone. Great to be with you again. Thanks for joining us. Before we get started, as always, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Go to 5gguys.com to connect with us and uh, give us some stars and tell your friends if, if you like what you hear. Joining us again today for a comeback, popular uh, return is Dr. Patrick Perini. I call him doctor because he's got his PhD in electrical engineering. He began his career working for NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab. Say that again. He worked for NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab. Yes, he was a rocket scientist um, working on their shuttle imaging radar systems. After that, he moved into the wireless telecom world where he joined US West's Advanced Technologies Group where he led several research teams in wireless telecommunications technology. Those research efforts included smart antennas for 1G and 2G networks, RF propagation modeling, and wireless data technologies. In 2003, he formed his own consulting company, EFR Inc. As EFR, he spent 17 years consulting to the engineering service group at Qualcomm, developing training courses in 2G, 3G, 4G, and 5G technologies. He's delivered that training to professionals throughout the wireless industry. Today, he resides in Hawaii, where he works with Hawaiian Telecom. And in that role, he's helping to deploy fiber to the premise offerings for TV, voice, and internet services. So with that, Patrick, thanks for joining us for a a comeback tour. Great to have you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. So the last time we had you on, you helped us explain to our audience the differences and the history between 1G, 2G, all the way through 5G. I thought it went really well. For those of you that may not have heard that episode, go back to a prior episode, check it out. It would be a great backdrop to to segue into today where I feel like we didn't really dive as deeply as we could into 4G and 5G and really what are the big differences and the big enhancements and changes and impetus for 5G. So I thought today we could to dive in that a little bit more and and really talk about what what's driving 5G, what what will the consumer see that's different and what's going going on beyond the consumer with 5G. So let's let's start with that Patrick, kind of give me your perspective on what is the big driver for why we even have 5G today and, and, and what's, what's pushing that, that initiative? I think what, what's driving 5G more than the consumer really is the, the industry itself. You know, we seem to want to re, reinvent a new generation of wireless technology about every decade since the 80s. So we did 
2G in the 90s, 3G, 2000, 4G, 2010. Now here we are, 2020, and we're looking at a fifth generation of wireless technology. From my perspective, I have a lot of friends ask me about, you know, what's 5G? And over the years, it's funny, it, it used to be a little bit more generational, like, oh, should I get the new 3G or should I get the new 4G? But it seems to me more recently, people are pretty happy with the speed that their phone can do and what it does. And I don't see the users telling me, hey, my phone is slow. I, I can't do things with the phone. Uh, more, I hear people ask me, should I get the new iPhone 13 or should I get the, the latest Samsung Galaxy? They're more interested, I think, sometimes in the features of the phone, the camera, uh, the new camera that it comes with than they are necessarily as to what the generation of the phone can do. I don't think people really appreciate millimeter wave versus non-millimeter wave that is now in 5G phone technology. So the consumer, I think, is trying to figure out whether to get a new phone because they can get a deal on a phone and they can have a new smartphone that's you know it's somewhat of a status symbol, I think, for some younger kids maybe. Some people just like having the new product. But I find it's a little bit different now going 4G to 5G. I am still carrying around my 4G iPhone 7, and I haven't upgraded that phone, and I'm pretty happy with it. I'll probably buy a 5G phone maybe in a year or two, but I'm not hard-pressed to buy a 5G phone myself just because the phone does everything I want it to do. So, yeah, I would, I would just say that, you know, the, the, the big thing with 5G might be more transformative in other industries than just the mobile broadband phone consumer that, you know, you and I, how we use our cell phones, that a lot of 5G may be driven more by industries wanting to do some of the things they normally did with wires in their factory to do it wireless to try and, and sell some form of service that uses AR or VR, um, augmented reality, to sell entertainment, possibly. Um, so I, I think there will be some transformations or some new things, just like I think, for example, things like Netflix and Roku and a lot of the things that we can do remotely with our devices, I think were enabled by 4G LTE. You know, people watching television on their phone was, really wasn't doable with 3G. And, and so I think 4G enabled that. And I think 5G will be maybe a little less transformative for the mobile user than it will be for some other industries. Yeah, for, for sure. I think there's tons of reports, analysis, research out there that video was killing 3G. I mean, 3G was just on its knees, especially when the iPhone came out, when people started trying to use it for video. And for sure video, whatever form you might want to think of, YouTube cat videos, streaming services, it doesn't matter. That really is where 4G has, has been a, a rock star, no doubt about it. Your point about industry, I think, is a really valid one. I think, you know, I, I've said numerous times and, and I've, you know, our listeners may have heard me say it before, you know, wireless has really become the fourth utility. It is not a luxury and it will become essential and it has, this is, I think the demand for 5G and what you pointed out with industry really demanding wireless that can support their needs, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's healthcare, like remote telemedicine and, you know, doing a surgery remotely over a wireless connection, wireless sensors that can respond at a, you know, a millisecond's notice so that 
autonomous vehicles can use wireless to talk to each other and know that the car is stopping in front of them quicker than the human brain can even figure it out. Those are, those are things 4G can't do, right? Yeah, we, we really, um, with 4G, we're trying to enhance the mobile broadband experience. And, and as we improve the capability of the network and we decided to make some additions to the standards of 4G later on, we started to add the idea of, oh, we want to see if maybe we could have machine-type communication so that the cell site talks to a device like a garage door opener rather than a, a smartphone. And, and then we started to think about, hey, maybe vehicles could talk to one another. So they have this idea of cellular vehicle to vehicle communication or cell, cellular vehicle to infrastructure, cellular vehicle to pedestrian. They call it CV to X, cellular vehicle to anything, where the vehicle can, can communicate. And, and Qualcomm's making big bets on this, actually. They have a pretty large group that is focused on really trying to be the chipset provider for this stuff for all the auto manufacturers. So I think, you know, the connected car, if, if you purchased a Tesla or into Tesla, you know how they're working with their autonomous driving capabilities. And if you've ever been in a Tesla, it's pretty cool. You have a big screen, it's internet connected. And so the, the notion of a connected car is pretty interesting to me. It's funny, you know, when I do like classes and I teach people, I ask them, how many people in this room are willing to pay to connect another device to the cellular network other than their primary cell phone. And it's interesting. A lot of people are pretty darn hesitant. Now I'm talking usually to a lot of engineers. So we're, we're kind of notoriously unwilling to spend money on things, but you know, I, I think it's just funny that people have a heart. Like I, I'd ask them, would you be willing to pay for a plan for your car to have your car connected at all times? And most people are like, nah, you know, you don't get a really strong uptake on that yet. I think that might change. I think there there's services being offered, like you could put a little modem in your car, right? And if you run into any trouble, that modem can notify somebody that you're having problems with your vehicle. Uh, I forget the name of that service. I think Verizon is selling this service, actually, under a brand name I can't recall. But um, I, I think more and more we're going to see that. And and now you can essentially any car, if, if it's, you know, you enable cellular connectivity by putting a widget in the car and it can talk to some of the electronics in the car. Now you have a way of essentially keeping track of your car remotely. I think an interesting concept that you bring up, Patrick, is for years, the wireless carriers in the space was built for the user experience in the call quality, connecting to the internet and your device. But actually we're on the frontier of we're moving beyond that. Yeah, call quality is important, having your phone to do things, but it sounds like, you know, from your perspective that 5G is opening the next door of industry 4.0, of connected vehicles for safety reasons, just for a lot of different things for, it may not be directly to the consumer, but it's about making the consumer's life better into the future through these other services. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that a lot of the ways that we will use the wireless connectivity will evolve just like it evolved from you know 3G to 4G. It's going to change a bit in 5G. I think it'll be a little less transformative for the mobile phone customer and more transformative in just other areas as we've talked about, whether it's a mission critical service or connecting to IoT devices. 
you know, I have a wife who's an anesthesiologist and she works in the hospital and she talks about how these surgeons, especially the young guns, the young surgeons who grew up with Game Boys, they know how to do remote surgery. Like it's unreal. They sit there at a remote control and the patient's in another room and a robot's going into the patient doing the surgery. Their, their hands are completely outside the patient while they do this very precise surgery inside the patient. And so there's no reason why that can't, if you can do that without touching the patient, now you can bring that idea to, you know, say out here in Hawaii, the outer islands don't have, you know, sur surgery capabilities that we have on Oahu, for example. And so you could envision, you know, having remote surgery capabilities eventually in some of these hospitals that can't staff the doctors there locally. And so that's very, very like, that's big deal, right? That's, that's very transformative in, in the healthcare space. And as we've talked about, this will probably transform other areas, whether it's vehicles or industry connectivity, you know, loading docks, for example. I think you're right, Wayne. I think really the key, the key thing for listeners and for people to understand of the is don't think of is it impacting your experience on your phone. Think of it as the impact it's going to have on your life holistically, right? You're going to be driving down the street and you're going to start finding over time that traffic gets better because smart cities are predicting the flow of traffic and traffic signals are able to be more smart about how they work together as a group instead of individually. And, you know, the fire department gets a 911 call and now all of a sudden those traffic signals are diverting and routing traffic so that they can get the, uh, their response location faster. And just on and on and on, you can just think about all of these things that are going to start happening in our world around us that we're not going to know why everything got so much better, but it got a lot better. And it's going to be because things like 5G enabled that behind the scenes and we don't see it happening. I, I think that's really the way I try to tell people the impact you're going to get from 5G. It's not going to be getting your cat your cat video faster. It's going to be just your world around you just getting so much faster and better from the standpoint of, of technology. I, I think that's really the way I see it rolling. So, and, and, you know, Wayne, you talked in a previous episode about some of the things in your world that you guys are deploying. Tell us a little bit more about where you're starting to see 5G pop up. Yeah, I think definitely in the large venue space. So we you know, build neutral host networks inside venues, which is a more compact type of network, but 5G there, you know, one of the things that's really, we're going to see an impact is, uh, is mobile gambling, you know, being able to utilize the technology. I know that gambling's not a great thing for all folks, but it's definitely a service that's coming in on rapidly you're going to be able to do your uh, fantasy sports teams while you're doing the sport and gambling on those players as they do it. So that's some of the venue work that we've seen start to take hold and we're doing it now. I did see that the first net network is also rolling out 5G. And some of the, the first reasons that, I mean, that I had heard, I'm not sure we had to validate probably, but so that those emergency responders in their equipment can be connected to the network. So a fire truck, for instance, we know if it's performing, if we know what the water levels are on tanker trucks and different things like that. So I do think 
those will be some things that affect all of us and bring better services and safer communities to us. Yeah. So for listeners that know what Wayne's talking about, FirstNet, back after the 2008 recession, as part of the recovery funds that were created by the federal government, they set aside and allocated a bunch of money to build a dedicated 4G LTE network nationwide for first responders. So if you all recall back in 2001, when 9-11 happened and the, the, the Twin Towers collapsed, basically the cellular network crashed. There was everybody was pushing send at the same time. And guess who else was using that network or trying to use that network? Our first responders. And so what this did was this created federal funding to create a network called FirstNet nationwide, where our first responders could have a network that was for them and for them exclusively to use the technology for their first responder needs without being conflicted with those of us using the cell phone network for whatever we're doing normally. And, and, and so, yeah, you're right, Wayne, for sure. FirstNet has leveraged 4G and is, is definitely staged to leverage 5G on that network. Um, we'll have a future episode actually talking about FirstNet and we'll dive a little bit more into it. But, you know, there's a specific use case I know for a fact FirstNet is working on, and you talked about VR and AR, Patrick, virtual reality, augmented reality. The difference being augmented reality is it's sort of virtual and real world coming together at the same time, right? You're seeing the real world through the lens with the virtual world sort of put on top of it, right? They're looking at AR and using 5G so that a firefighter can go into a burning building full of smoke and they've got a heads up visor that shows them the floor plan as they're walking because they can't see it because of the smoke and then shows them maybe where, you know, the terminals are for hooking up their hoses and things like that, that are enabled by 5G. That's a very specific use case that I know that FirstNet has uh, been working on and they plan to roll out leveraging 5G. So for sure, some really cool stuff there that, again, as a consumer, we're not going to see that on our phone, but it's going to make our world around us that much more advanced. So, so Patrick, tell me a little bit more about what 5G is doing how are they how are they pulling this off? What's going on in the network that's allowing this to happen? And I know one area you've talked about was this concept of latency. So maybe start with latency, explain what it is, and then explain what's happening in the 5G network to improve it. Okay, so I think one of the things we noticed is that uh, your cell phone today still has a little bit of a slow response comparative to if you had a fiber or wire connection to, to your device. And so latency measures the time uh, it takes for the network to provide us a response from a request. The way we measure latency is we ping the network. We essentially just go doink to the network or ping, and that ping goes out to a network element and then returns back to us. When we get the response back, it tells us how long did that ping take to go to one end of the network and back. So it's a measure of your network's speed, if you will, how fast it can send something and, and return the request back. Kind of like how, how quick is the, the teller to, to respond to your request if you make a request from a teller in line or something? Right. I, I, try, I explain it as it's more responsiveness than speed, right? It's like how, how quickly the teller responds back to you and yeah. then, and then, then you a certain amount of speed after that. Yeah. And so latency, when you have a lot of latency, right, how do you experience that? Well, it's delay, right? If you're in a phone call and you have a lot of delay, that's pretty annoying, right? When you're trying to talk to somebody. And what really screws up the phone call when we were trying to do voice over IP is not the latency per se, 
by itself. If the latency is 10 milliseconds, 20 milliseconds, we can deal with that in a phone call if it stays consistent. If the latency starts jumping around 10 milliseconds, 5, 20, 35, 40, and it keeps moving a lot quickly, we call that jitter. And that jitter wreaks havoc on your voice call. You know, it doesn't matter even if you have low latency, if it's jumping all over the place, you know, you get this really warbly call that is very difficult to process. We have um, de-jittering buffers that we can work with a little bit, but they can only handle so much wiggle room in that in that delay. So latency is an important characteristic that for the most part, we've been able to get away with latencies down to 20, 30 milliseconds, and we can do voice over IP on 4G networks now. But if I want to be able to do something very mission critical, if I really need a quick response, say I want to do something like a remote surgery, robotic surgery, right? I need two millisecond latency for that to work then, you know, the current networks aren't sufficient. And so part of what we'd like to do with 5G is be able to, in certain cases, not all cases, but define mission-critical services. And those services can be essentially scheduled very quickly into our scheduler to provide radio access very quickly with one to two millisecond latency. So that's going to be important um, in providing these mission-critical services And at the same time, we want to make sure that we still also have other bandwidth available for non-mission critical, right? So we can we can sort of share the radio bandwidth for with these different types of services. And so I think 5G will enable some of that, you know, sharing of the bandwidth for different applications, whether it's a mobile broadband user that can deal with 10, 20 millisecond latency versus a mission critical user like the firefighter or the surgeon or something in a mission critical scenario. So those, I think, will be where we see 5G start to do some things that 4G couldn't do in the mission-critical area. Right. And and I know in a previous episode that, that I referenced at the top of this one, you talked about how the radio channel itself between 4G and 5G is actually very, very similar. But what you touched on, I'd like to dive in a little bit more, and I think this is a good segue on this latency thing, is that a lot of what's changing with 5G is what's going on in the core network or the brains of the network behind the radio part of it. Can you can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So essentially when we build a, a wireless network, right, we have to have a way to access your phone. And so what we do is we put a radio on a, a tower, right, or a base station, we call it. And that radio signal travels from the base station to and from your phone uh, so that you can communicate to the network. But now we have to get the signal from the base station, right, back to, you know, the cloud or the phone network or wherever the service is, right? We have to get it to the services networks that we, we want to provide service on. And so there are wires essentially from the base station, right, radio that your phone talks to back into what we refer to as the core of the network. And it's interesting we talk about the brains of the network being in the core. In the old days, all the brains were really in the core. And then as the technology evolved, one of the things we started to notice was that if I want to schedule things really quickly, I need to actually do that scheduling at the point of delivering the signal to the phone. And so what we started to do in 3G which was a change from 1G, 2G, where all the brains and thinking and decision-making was done in the core, we started to push the scheduling of the services and the the radio resources out to the base station. And that sort of decentralized the the job 
of radio resource management, we call that, from a controller that's closer to the center of the network out towards the edge. And now what's happening with, you know, the evolution, 4G kind of has done the same thing, but now they're starting to think, what if we started to coordinate the base stations to do some smart scheduling? So we coordinate the radio access network. This is now going back to bringing the brains back into the core. And there's this sort of tug and pull that's going on with 5G because I can't centralize the processing for all the brains of all things, but I can do it for some things in certain applications. For example, I may want to bring some information from my factory to a central location, not too far away from my factory, not too far into the core to protect it, but to process it and then bring it back. Um, another area that's interesting, uh, when we talk about trying to centralize the brains, think about IoT devices, right? IoT devices, there's going to be millions of these devices, little tiny devices everywhere. And you can't put the brains of all of that in some central location. And so what we will do with a lot of IoT devices is distribute the brain processing into the little devices. We'll put a wireless modem and a little you know, processor inside that device to give it some intelligence so that it can think about, oh, I'm, I'm receiving this data. The data is telling me something. Okay, I'm going to tell the network or no, I don't need to tell the network. Rather than the device being just simply dumb and spewing data to the network constantly that the network has to now think about how to process this. So there's in, in, in uh, 5G, they have this thing now that they call mobile edge computing, where we don't want to necessarily bring everything into the to the core of the network because it takes time to bring it there, think about it, and then bring it back. What we might want to do for like an AR VR application is bring that thinking, if you will, out to the edge of the mobile radio network, do the thinking fairly close to the base station as to reduce the time to respond back to that network so that I can lower the data requirements I need to send data back and forth from my little cloud off to the radio by lowering that latency. So these are the things that are, there's not necessarily one, oh, we're going to bring all the smarts back into the core. A little of it depends on the application. So that's that's the one thing I would say is is unique about 5G that we're doing. And the other, one of the things in 5G that'll be very different, and we as consumers are not going to really notice this or see this, is they've they've really changed how they're going to implement the core network for 5G from previous um, generations. So as I talked earlier, the, the radio itself is still the same radio technology, essentially, that we used in 4G. There's just more flexibility in how I set up that radio channel. I can be wider. I can have more subcarriers. They can be wider. They can, they can change, essentially, the the, the dimensioning of how they form the radio channel to support both millimeter wave frequencies and the lower frequencies. What really changed, though, is the, the idea of how we build a core network. So we're used to sort of saying, I have a core network that my base station connects to, and my base station connects to a widget, a box. In 4G, we called it the uh, mobility management entity for uh, control to set up the connections. And to send your data, it talked to a box called a serving gateway. And that serving gateway connected to a packet gateway, which then connected to the internet or the services network. And the mobility management box, the MME, 
It talked to a home location register or a home subscription server box that had all the subscribers in it and could verify your subscription and so on and so forth. So you would buy these boxes essentially and hook them up uh, accordance to the standard design. And so what they're doing now in 5G is a little different. They're, they're saying, you know, there's no reason why we have to really build boxes anymore. The, the entire network can essentially be virtualized in software. We can software define the network. And rather than having boxes that are physical, that have a functions, certain functions assigned to them, we're just going to define all the functions. And there will be no more boxes per se defined. So every function that you need the core network to do gets defined. It becomes virtualized, and they essentially take that software-defined core network and put it on a standardized industry blade server. And this now really reduces the overall cost of the network to deploy it. It also makes it much easier to service that network and to change that network in real time. Provisioning of the network is all done in software. There's very little hardware that has to be really it connected in a special way. And so this, I think, is very, very different from what we're used to doing. And they call this standalone, meaning that the 5G network will stand alone by itself. It'll have a 5G core and a 5G radio. And if I want to hand off, if you will, from my 5G network to another network, I literally have to make a radio connection handoff from the 5G radio network to the 4G radio network. And right now, what they're sort of doing to bridge the gap, actually, is they're leaving the 4G core network in place and building the 5G radio network on top of it and building what they call non-standalone. Non-standalone means now the phone has to sort of be this schizophrenic phone that can do both a 4G and a 5G connection at the same time while it's registered as a 4G phone to a 4G network. Now, if I'm running around the network in this non-standalone world, my phone never does really a radio handoff from 4G to 5G. It just sort of decides, hey, I want to add this 5G cell to my 4G connections. And 4G is sort of the, the setup connection, if you will. And if I need more radio services, I add 5G cells to it. So it's, it's just a, in doing this non-standalone, you make the upgrade to 5G purely a radio change. You don't have to do too much to the core, but you have to build these phones that are fairly complicated. It makes the phone design much harder because it has to be able to register to a 4G network and simultaneously be, be a 5G radio, adding 5G connections to the 4G connections it already has. Versus if I do what they think of as standalone 5G, I could literally just build the, the 5G network from the ground up standalone, as the name defines it, and the phone itself is purely 5G. It, it, it literally has a 5G registration, a 5G SIM in it, it talks to 5G radio, and I, I literally have to do the handoff like I did in the old days between 3G and 4G or 2G and 3G. I have to really hand off from one radio network to the other. And so we'll see how long it takes for them to get to this standalone mode. I've been surprised to see how quickly T-Mobile has accelerated the development of standalone in their operations, and they're very committed to getting to 5G standalone. 
So we'll see if the other operators are as interested in this or if they'll keep that 4G core network operating for quite some time before they do the big network transformation in the core to a software-defined 5G core network. Got it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You were also talking uh, earlier about, I was, I was, I'm notorious for my bad analogies, I guess, but I was listening to you talk about that mobile edge computing and how, you know, with 5G, we're pushing a lot of that processing out, out to the base station, out to even the, the devices. And it made me think of the cliche of the left hand not knowing what the right hand's doing. And I started thinking about it. I was like, well, the left doesn't know what the yeah. right hand's doing. The brain knows. Right. And that's 2G and 3G, right? The core knows what's going on with all the base stations. And now I think what you're saying is with 4G and now especially 5G, and this edge computing, the left hand and the right hand literally do know what each other's doing and they don't need the brain to work together. It, it, that's kind of the analogy, right? Yeah, they don't have to necessarily talk to the core to figure out how to coordinate some things right. locally. And I think coming full circle to what we were talking about earlier with FirstNet, for example, I know one big application they're working on is how can they still work when there's not a radio network supporting them? And so they're literally enabling peer-to-peer communication, right? Phone, phone, device, mm-hmm. device, where they don't need the network, similar to old walkie-talkie, you know, public safety radio systems. But now with 5G, 4G capabilities, peer-to-peer, where processing happening between each other without a network supporting them. You know, you had a firefighter in the Rocky Mountains in the middle of a canyon with no network to support them, they're now going to still be able to use these kinds of advanced services peer-to-peer, which is, I think, really cool. Yeah, I, th- I think they referred to that in the old LTE um, standards. They called it the side link. And this side link was going to enable device-to-device communications so that we could talk to one another as users. And it never, it never caught on as a consumer thing. Like, People thought, hey, the best way to find each other like at a rock concert would be through this device-to-device thing that you could find each other or whatever. But I think there was just no way to monetize it to the consumer. But it has so many other applications like you just pointed out for the firefighter. The other place where they're going to use that side link, right, device-to-device is vehicle-to-vehicle. So that'll be big too. And I think we'll see more of that, but maybe just not you and I doing it as consumers on our mobile phones. Yeah, really informative. Patrick, yeah, thanks for that overview. You keep me, I'm here thinking, how is this going to be? You know, it just keeps like what's possible. One of the things I'd ask, you know, a little bit about the edge and the latency side, I heard one of the main driving factors, I think during the the pandemic and such, was the latency in a shopping cart for like, say, companies like Amazon that they've done research and they looked at that latency and they said, hey, if they can reduce latency, they'll sell more product because people, when they make purchasing decisions, actually hesitate. But with lower lower latency, Mm -hmm. the click and the button to make that sale brings those guys billions of dollars in revenue. So it's very interesting to hear your side of it and another use case in e-commerce of like, hey, can I buy that right now scenario? Well, high frequency training, right? We've built we've built dedicated microwave networks for high frequency traders that where they can get their trade into the stock market a millisecond ahead of another person and and sabotage you know not sabotage arbitrage that situation to their gain of a few few cents a share, right? So really cool stuff. Well, 
Patrick, thanks again for coming and join us for yet a second second time on our podcast. It's been awesome. I think you do a great job of really boiling things down to simple to understand concepts. And it's awesome having you tell everyone again how they, they can connect with you so they can, can uh, learn more if they want to connect with you. Yeah, if you want to connect with me, just reach out to me at LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn under my name, Patrick Perini. P is in Patrick, E-R-I-N-I. Awesome. Well, thanks, Patrick, once again to all our listeners. As always, if you like what you're hearing, you know, subscribe, give us some some ratings, some stars. If you have any questions, comments, if we got something wrong, go to 5gguys.com or comment on your on your 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 device that you're listening to us on, and we will absolutely get back to you on your comments and maybe even bring those issues up on a future episode. So for for Wayne and myself, thanks for everyone joining, and uh, until next time. Thanks. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5GGuys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. 